If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. that would go to the National Enquirer with your with your closest secrets. You need new friends. The Jeff Bezos revelations on the way. We'll post them. Uh, you want the pictures? No. You want the pictures? No. You send nudies to his uh, his mistress. Uh, that's got nothing to do with me. Okay. All right, then. Any of my friends is contemplating doing that, I'm going to come up behind you and hit you over your head. Fair warning. Going to the National <laughs> that Enquirer. Is something. Is uh, Mr. Bremer uh, with us? Fabulous. Thank you. Super. Uh uh, please welcome uh, back to the Armstrong and Getty Show frequent guest, president and founder of Eurasia Group, Ian Bremer. Eurasia Group's annual forecast of the political risks of this year. Um, uh, the top risks 2019 is out. It is, as always, interesting and I agree with uh, Mr. Bremer, disagree with him. It's always informative. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, good to be with you guys. Happy 2019. Thank you. You know, it's funny. As we returned from vacation, we all agreed that as insane as 2018 was, there's a good chance 2019 is going to make it look placid. Good chance? It's guaranteed. Now, am I just agitated by too much caffeine and too much cable news, or is the world actually looking pretty unstable? Um, 
you know, the fact that global economic growth is still reasonably robust and unemployment in the U.S. is low and people are actually coming back to the market to look for jobs and they're getting retrained, and a lot of them are over 50 years old, and that's a really good thing. It's not like it's all doom and gloom, but the level of uncertainty and certainly the fact that American political institutions this year will be tested in ways that we have not experienced in our lifetimes, I think has to make people's spidey sense tingle just a little more than usual. So how interesting. So we're surfing quite beautifully on the top of a nice wave, but there's something weird and unstable about the wave, and we're nervous, huh? Shacks. There's shacks down there, man. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) So that's uh, number one global risk, sharks. Shaq, I'm from Boston originally, so whenever I have a chance to do that, I really try to. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, hey, listen, uh, I'm not going to go in any particular order here, but um, I'm absolutely fascinated by the U.S.-China relationship. I'm fascinated by China itself, its internal politics, that sort of thing. Um, uh, it's a rocky moment in the relationship, but uh, to me, it's a necessary rocky moment. How do you see the U.S.-China relationship this year? We have a president who is armed with spackle. And, um, you know, so the U.S.-China relationship is deeply structurally flawed. It is becoming much more competitive. Xi Jinping is now going to be president for life. He is doubling down on his authoritarianism and the state capitalist system. He's building architecture that competes with the U.S., but his economy is slowing a bit. His markets are down about 25% from their peak. Trump himself is looking to find a quote-unquote deal, just like he has been with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. And they will find a way to announce that everything is fine. And so by, by March 1, which is the deadline that's been imposed by the U.S., there ain't no way that we're going to 25% tariffs. There will be something that feels like progress. It's just not going to last the next time we have any sort of serious crisis because underneath that – um, you're going to have, you've got all the problems with the Chinese continuing to steal our intellectual property. You've got big fights on technology. They're not going to let companies like Google or Facebook do business there. We've got the 5G rollout in telecom and smartphones, the Internet of Things. They're building one system. We're building an alternative system. That's a real problem. And all the traditional things like Taiwan and the South and East China Sea also getting worse. So this, this year and certainly the next few months, no trade war. And, and the markets will like the headlines, but the world's most important relationship between the two most important economies is actually heading in a in a long in a negative direction. Well, uh, we've been following your tweets and your writings on this for well for years, but uh, on this particular topic for the last several months, and I believe you've stated several times that yeah, there was something or is something that needs to be done with China. Is just is it just something that can't be done, or uh, what's your stance on that? You would let's, you would certainly need to have a much more consensus-oriented set of policies moving in that direction. What do I mean by that? You'd want everyone in the Trump administration, including the president, all saying, here's the strategy, here's what we're focused on, we want to all get this done. And you'd want the Americans working with the allies, the Japanese, the Europeans, who also have the same problems with China, by the way. Pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership wasn't an easy way to start that process. Um, Having people like Mnuchin and Jared Kushner, Wilbur Ross and Lighthizer all arguing for completely different things doesn't make it easier. And then Trump saying, I had a great meeting with Xi Jinping and we're going to have a deal even when there's no deal. Look at the North Korea situation. I mean, you have Trump 
now saying, I'm going to have a second summit with my buddy Kim Jong-un, everything's going well, when privately Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, will tell you he's had four meetings with Kim Jong-un, and we have gotten absolutely bupkis from the North Koreans. Like, that's not the way to get to an outcome. So when Trump says we've got big problems with China, he's right. When Trump says we need to take a tougher line on China to actually get them to a more sustainable place, he's right. But his ability to implement and execute on this stuff is zil. Well, I would argue in the North Korea situation, there is no solution but <laughs> uh, other than praying that that bombs are not exchanged. Ian Bremmer's online president, founder of Eurasia Group. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, attacks, I'm much less concerned about a mushroom crowd, a cloud over Los Angeles than I am devastating cyber attacks. Is 2019 the year we see... Uh, cyber truly weaponized, not exploratory attacks where we get Sony pictures gossip, but the electric grid for uh, Manhattan brought down, that sort of thing. So three quick points. One is that the big thing was not Sony. The big thing that I saw so far that really worried me is when the Russians hit Ukraine, um, they took 10% of um, all Ukrainian computers, destroyed them, 1% off of Ukraine's GDP, and the malware called NotPetya, which originally was developed by the U.S. National Security Agency, expanded beyond Ukraine and cost about 5 to $10 billion of damage to Western multinationals, like wow. the shipping company Maersk, FedEx Europe, things like that. That's the Russians. And if the Russians, they're pretty risk acceptance. They're getting angrier because of all the sanctions against them. And this is the year when all of the Manafort and Mike Flynn and other related investigations and their connections to the Putin inner circle is going to be made public. And the Russians are really going to not not like that. So the likelihood that the Russians could respond with attacks against our critical infrastructure and it could get out of control in ways that they wouldn't necessarily predict, I think that is an actual danger. And it's growing. The other point is that you know when when the Russians hit our elections under Obama, Obama was pretty risk averse and he didn't do very much. The Trump administration is saying we need preemptive strikes. We need to go after these guys now and Cyber Command is definitely gearing up for that. I don't think that's going to deter anyone. I think it has the potential to lead to escalation, um, which, again, could cause real damage to the U.S. economy. So in the near term of all of the things, if you were really you know, inclined to worry about what could bring the economy into sudden sharp recession, that would be the one surprise that no one's expecting that could happen like any day. Wow. Uh, I wonder at what point countries start actually treating cyber attacks like a military attack. I know under the Obama administration we made the announcement that we would, but so far nobody really has. Where you where you say, you attacked us with cyber, we're attacking you with bombs. I think the answer to that is right after the big one hits. Mm. Ian Bremmer online, president and founder of Eurasia Group. Uh, your your number one risk for 2019 is what you call bad seeds, and it has several subsections. Um, before we get into that, Eurasia Group, you advise your clients on on political risk, where things might get hairy. Um, so would it be safe to say that your, I hate to use the term bias because it's a negative, your point of view is, is y'all are hoping for stability, for continued economic growth, that sort of thing. Is that the way you approach your job? Um, I wouldn't say hoping for stability. I think you want to ha- – everyone has tolerance for risk. They just need to be rewarded for it. And some people's tolerance is very high, some people's low. What you want to do is help them better assess 
what the level of risk is so they can understand how much they should be paid for taking on that risk, right? You want, I mean, them to understand that what they're doing is rational. Right. Okay, fair enough. So let's talk about the bad seeds in the world. Uh, I take it you, you're talking about uh, leaders around the world? I'm talking about the fact that in 21 years since I started the firm, um, this is the first time we've ever seen that all of the major geopolitical trends that we assess are pretty much heading in a longer-term negative direction. What do I mean by that? I mean, internationally, all of the major relationships out there, U.S.-Russia, U.S.-China, U.S.-Europe, U.S.-Mexico, U.S.-Canada, trans uh, intra-European relations, intra-Middle East relations, they're all actually getting worse. And also, uh, political leadership and stability inside the advanced industrial democracies are eroding across the board, with the significant exception of Japan. Now, none of that is urgent, and none of that is likely to lead to a crisis in 2019, where global growth is pretty good. So it's not really a 2019 risk. But if you think about the last two both from the blue crises that we've had globally, 9-11 attacks and the 2008 financial crisis, in both of those cases, the ability that we had to respond effectively to them, both inside our own country, coming together in both cases, Democrats and Republicans, different leaderships, you name it, as well as other countries around the world, the coalition of the willing in Afghanistan, even including Russia. And after 2008, the financial crisis, everyone trying to get out, including the Chinese, who were no friends at that point. Um, my concern with bad seeds is that the next crisis that hits, whatever it is, whether it's a pandemic or cyber, as we were just talking about, or nuclear, or more likely the next economic downturn, we just won't have anywhere near that level of capacity to respond effectively to it. Hmm. That's what bad seeds is all about. Um, um, my final question, I really thought it was interesting on your list, the innovation winter. Explain what that means. Uh, that technology companies, as you know, are the largest in market cap now in the United States. They've driven so much of economic growth. But there are two major trends that are going to make it harder for them to get the kind of investments into the next round of technology innovation that they've had historically. The first is that the coming technology fight between the U.S. and China, like when we go and tell the Canadians to arrest the CFO of Huawei and we're building these alternative systems, it means that our big companies are not going to be able to have access to the Chinese market in tech. I mean, the Googles and the Facebooks, none of that's going to be helped by a Xi Jinping Trump deal. Uh, and that means that the technology market, which under 4G or where the internet was created, was a global market and our companies were dominant, increasingly is a fragmented market. Second piece is that these tech companies in the U.S. are experiencing a growing tech lash from American citizens that don't like being treated as products, yep. all the hearings, and from the Europeans who are regulating them heavily. Take those two things together. You're just not going to have the kind of investment, easy environment for some of the stocks that a lot of us have in our portfolios, you know, the Apples and the Facebooks and even the Twitters, and that's a challenge. Um, can you uh, can you hold for a second while I log on to my account? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 60 Minutes this Sunday night, they're going to do a big story on uh, how AI is going to destroy so many jobs around the globe, and it's going to be a big global global crisis. Do you worry about that? 
Yeah, that guy that's uh, being interviewed, Kaifu Li, who is probably the most important sta- uh, spokesman on AI from the Chinese perspective, is someone who really does think that a lot of jobs get displaced and destroyed as a consequence of it. But you know what? A lot of jobs have been displaced and destroyed as a consequence of globalization and trade and you know building factories to make things in China. The problem that we've experienced in the last 30 years is not globalization. It's that our governments did not respond to take care of the people that were displaced. So I, it's not that I'm less worried about AI than I am about our government's response. Amen to that. Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group is on the line. Hey, Ian, uh, why should I care about Brexit? I'm not sure you should. Do you care about Brexit? <laughs> well, no, I, I, but no, I don't, I mean, I and I feel bad about you it. Cared about Brexit? I'm honestly. even Irish, and I don't care. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think it's pretty cool that the United Kingdom is managing to make the American political system look functional. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So, seriously, it's not that big a deal. Well, I mean, it's a big deal for the Brits. I mean, even the Europeans are sick of it at this point. Uh, I mean, in the worst case scenario, which I don't think will come about, but it might, and and there's a hard Brexit. The U.K.'s GDP will probably, they say it'll shrink by 8%. I don't buy that. It'll probably shrink by more like, you know, 3 or 4 or 5. So it'll be a significant recession. If the U.K. has a significant recession, that kind of sucks if you're a Brit. Um, does, do we really care about that in the United States? The answer is at the margins, it's kind of sad. Yeah, okay, and it'll probably bounce back one way or the other. Uh, Ian Bremer on the line. Ian, what do you do for fun? I see he is a croquet guy. Is that accurate? No, no, it's really inaccurate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, wow. I'd say tennis and bourbon. You know, tennis not and bourbon. Early in that order. Yeah, yeah there I you was go. just going to ask. There you go. That's beautiful. Anticipating my next question. That's why you're so good. Ian Bremer, president and founder of Eurasia Group. It's always a pleasure, Ian. Thanks a million. Be good, guys. Thanks. So, uh, you know, he has to do this yearly thing for his, his clients and predicting all that. But I, I love I, that description of what he does, by the way. Yeah. There's always risk in business. We advise people on how much risk there is there, there, and there, and, and why. But the the larger underlying is going to play out over decades thing. I hope I live long enough to, to find out what it is. Because the, uh, the underlying feeling of uh, a lot of workers in Western civilization that brought Brexit and Trump is not going away after the Brexit crisis or after Trump. Right. It is still there, maybe even more significant. And the way the way the the voters vote, or or re, or or just behave, right, right. Trump is not the wave. Trump is on top of the wave. Uh, likewise, Brexit. You know, one of the risks we didn't get to um, is Ukraine, and uh, I bring that up just because. Uh, and and we referred and Ian did to uh, to Putin and, and Russia a fair amount, but Ukraine is really the hot spot of Russian policy right now. And Vladimir Putin is he's he's the big nasty guy lives at the end of your street. He's irrational. He's drunk all the time. He likes to fight. He's not an important man, really. He's not nearly as important as he likes to act like he is. But he can hurt people. And he does hurt people. And sometimes he likes to hurt people because he knows the rest of the neighbors don't like him very well. And, uh, boy, keep your eyes on uh, Ukraine as the international headlines take shape in the next year. Uh, I fear. I mean, we've already had the Crimea thing and the Little Green Men and the rest of it. That ain't over. I referenced the 60 Minutes piece. We'll play a little clip from that. It's pretty darned interesting. Oh, it's it's incredibly interesting. Pretty thought-provoking. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. The women and children on that border that are trying to seek refuge and seek opportunity in the United States of America with nothing but the shirt on their backs are acting more American than any person who seeks to keep them out ever will be. Okay. All right. That's helpful. That's what you get when you elect hot bartenders to Congress. And more on the government shutdown and the border and the wall and the wrangling and the rest of it to come on the Armstrong and Getty show, of course. Something not Trump related, I'm happy to see on 60 Minutes this Sunday night. And uh, boy, this could be the story of all of our lifetimes. Um, here's a little clip. AI will increasingly replace repetitive jobs, not just for blue collar work. But a lot of white-collar work, a lot of things will become automated. We'll have automated stores, uh, automated restaurants, and uh, all together in 15 years, that's going to uh, displace uh, about 40% of jobs in the world. Within 15 years, 40% of all jobs in the world will be displaced by AI. If he's wrong by... Uh, you know, <laughs> by twice as much, it's right. still a pretty big or problem. Half, right, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I'm just, uh, my mind boggles as a guy who's been into economics since I was young. I was an unpopular child. Um, the, the, the model wherein so much smaller a number of, of people are participating in the generation of whatever wealth the world can generate. But you gotta feed everybody. Well, I mean that is a wildly different economy. It's it's much closer to communism, which cannot ever, ever, ever work. No, this this requires a much longer discussion. We oh, clearly, but um, like the rest of our lives, has it always just been a coincidence of history that there have been enough jobs for everybody, more or less? Certainly in the United States. Well, well, because you have to feed yourself. People found a way to feed themselves. And that's the part of my point is if we're transitioning to a global system where you don't have to feed yourself, that's going to change the animal. It already has in, in some quarters. I imagine we'll be talking about that more on Monday when the story comes out. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the president is hosting another border roundtable today. Pressure mounting for an emergency declaration. We've got twists and turns continuing in the U.S.-Syria pullout story and America's fertility rate dropping yet again. Plus live coverage of Ted Cruz's beard. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. You know what I want? I want to get a little drunk with you tonight. Not falling down, just a little drunk. I want to talk to you and plan with you and listen and laugh. Then I want to be with you. I want to fall asleep with you and wake up with you tomorrow. Now, here's a picture of my well, I'm flattered, Jack. Thank you. It's Jeff Bezos to the former host of So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, is that? Oh, okay. I heard she was a TV hostess of some sort. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you really don't want your private uh, stuff coming out like that. No, I don't. It's a don't. weird world we live in where oh, that happens. Oh, man. Yeah. Let's get well, the and, and it continually amazes me how many people do, uh, like, take intimate uh, pictures, videos, whatever, and save them to the cloud. 
Man, a cloud. <laughs> or even send them to somebody you completely 100% trust. The fact that you even do it. Yeah. I realize young people are doing it, but here's a guy in his 50s who's the world's richest man, and he knows if it comes out, it's going to be a giant media thing. Right. Still goes ahead and sends pictures of his privates to his mistress while Brought he's himself out. You'd think she could picture him. I've been trying to have my photos leaked for a long time, but still nothing. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Disappointing. Uh, one, of the, one of the stories we were following this morning, a U.S. pull out of Syria, more twists and turns. Now we've got a U.S. defense official saying no U.S. troops are withdrawn from Syria, but equipment is now being pulled out. All right. This Getting, is just, it's, it's, a, it's a, a shadow theater. I don't, yeah. what's, what's actually happening, nobody has any idea. Yeah, getting a lot of different messages coming out of this one. I it, personally am disappointed because I like the idea of pulling out. But somehow that's not happening, it looks like. Jack is in favor of ISIS uh, gaining power again. Reconstitute. You're the Barack Obama of talk radio. I'm in favor of those other countries taking care of their own damn sandy yards. It is a no-paycheck Friday for hundreds of thousands of federal workers as the partial government shutdown goes into day 21, tied for the longest ever. Negotiations stalling with the Senate holding no votes today, and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham said of the state of the shutdown talks, I see no, no way forward. I was hopeful last night, not hopeful today. President Trump going to be hosting a roundtable discussion on border security. That's going to be at the White House today. The attendees will include selected state and local officials. So now, in addition to the, it's not just the missed paycheck, but they actually issued paychecks that say net pay zero dollars. Yeah, and why, and why did that yeah. happen? Which seems the worst way to do it on multiple different ways. Yeah, no kidding. Is that, is that a government thing where they just, you know, we can't not print checks because it's in the system or something? Or is it a PR move? That's I what know. I wonder. Did somebody think, you know what would look good is all these paychecks with zeros on them? Right. Be dramatic. On the other hand, federal income tax, zero. That'd be nice. Be refreshing. <laughs> wow. Wait, Trump, there's there's see, a silver the glass line. is half full. <laughs> Trump considering uh, whether or not to declare a national emergency at the border. And the word is the White House has directed the Army Corps engineers to find money in its own budget that could be used to pay for the president's desired border wall under a national emergency delegation right. or declaration. Mar- Marco Rubio made the argument yesterday, that same argument we made, using a different example. The reason Marco Rubio is against a president declaring a national emergency and then moving around funds to do this sort of thing is the next president, who doesn't agree with your politics, might make a national emergency out of climate change, or Marco Rubio used the example out of Next time there's a school shooting, that president says we've got a gun problem. Here's what we're going to do. It's a national emergency. Right. Yeah. It's a dangerous precedent. It is a dangerous. But. It is. While people are arguing about the can Trump do this or will Trump do this, if he doesn't do it, what's the way out of this situation? If he doesn't declare a national emergency, how is this going to end? As Lindsey Graham said, I don't see any movement at this point. Which is ridiculous. It'd take 20 minutes to craft a compromise. It's just silly. My friends, U.S. fertility rates are hitting a new low. We got another report, a new report from the National Center for Health Statistics that shows Americans are not having enough babies to maintain the population. To reproduce itself, the current numbers of fertility rate needs to average 2,100 births among every 1,000 women of childbearing age. But the stats, the new stats, show a current rate that falls about 16% short of what is needed. You know, this only really matters 
Long term, if you don't have kids, it matters because your your population disappears. Of course, yep. that doesn't really matter to me. I'll be long gone. But uh, short term, it matters if you've got a welfare state being propped up by the uh, larger amounts of people. Right. If you didn't have that situation, it wouldn't be as much pressure. More and more babies equal more and more young people working, supporting the more and more old people. If right. you don't have that math working in your favor, uh, i.e. more than 2.1 live births per woman, uh, you have to, let's see, let's think. How about we import millions of people from other places? Hmm. And pretend we don't notice. That's why both parties are complicit in the illegal immigration thing. Joe and I's families between us average 2.5, so we're ahead of the curve. We've done our part to maintain the population. But, um, fitting in with the 60 yeah. Minutes story that uh, is going to get a lot of attention, if there are no jobs in the future for any of these people, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the world economy is going to look like if there's just nothing for people to do. If you were to teach an entire semester course... On the probable effects of if AI does indeed, according to the one Chinese researcher, might right. knock out 40% of the jobs worldwide. If that is true, you could teach a semester-long college course and just scratch the surface of the effects that would have on mankind. It boggles the mind. The NFL playoffs resume this weekend with the divisional round. Tomorrow it'll be the Colts clashing with the Chiefs in That's Kansas be City. a whale of a game. The Colts couldn't be hotter. And the Cowboys. Five in a row and ten of eleven, I think they've won. At Arrowhead? At Arrowhead. And, and Andy Reid, if you're a football fan, you know this. He's got to be clutching a little bit. His, his career record in the playoffs is, is pathetic. It's terrible. Looks yeah. like a genius all season long. Then the playoffs come and, and he that? can't remember which end his team's supposed to be going toward. <laughs> Who's that Chiefs quarterback everybody's hot for? Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes. My he's brother, my homie. My brothers can't stop talking about him. Oh, he's he's a monster. <laughs> he's just so much fun to watch. Just because he has a bazooka attached to his right shoulder. <laughs> and he looks like a model, and his wife yeah. is a model, and they've been together since high school. I mean, he's a good story for the NFL. And he flings it around like he just don't care. Cowboys are going to be rumbling with the Rams in L.A. on Saturday. Then on Sunday, the San Diego, uh, the L.A., uh, the Carson Chargers are going to be playing the Patriots the Carson in, Chargers. in Foxborough in the defending Super Bowl <laughs> champion Eagles. Oh, that's the, uh, I'm sorry, I, you got to give me a second on Chargers-Patriots. Yes. Philip Rivers, 0-7 yeah. against Tom Brady in his career. The Chargers have a better football team than the Patriots, but they've got to go to Foxborough, and you got the wily old Tom Brady, yeah. speaking of people with models for wives and it, it just it, that could be a whale of a game keeping that cold as heck too. keeping the model wives theme going did you see tim tebow is marrying miss universe i did boy are she's there, from pluto man are their kids gonna be something <laughs> yeah their kids are gonna be something you yeah. can't look at their kids and go, ah, <laughs> they're, too, they're too beautiful <laughs> they ought to have like 50 kids yeah can you subsidize that or demand okay marshall sorry what i babbled over what was the last game i was just gonna round it out the defending super bowl champion eagles visiting the new orleans saints on sunday as well saints will win by 20 by 20. Is that your oh, lock? Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's whoa, right. I forgot. Whoa. That's my what? lock of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be on the Armstrong and Getty Show when yeah. we used to talk more about sports. Yeah. We had a rule. If you were going to make a sports prediction, yeah. you had to bet a finger. Because it's everybody spouts off sports uh, predictions and never admits it when they're wrong. So there ought to be a cost to it. I retract my prediction. Right. Enjoy the game, Eagles fans. What's the weather going to be in Foxborough? Somebody look that up. I want to. It's s- going to be in the twenties. I know that. I want a snowy Patriots game. Those, oh. are, those are always awesome. Oh. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm starting a Getty show. The conscience of the nation. <sighs> this is called by many people the best football weekend of the year. Yeah. Yeah. 
You got four great games. Conference Ooh. championship weekend ain't bad either. Who the Rams playing? I missed that. Oh, uh, the mighty, mighty Cowboys. Yeah. Oh, oh, Rams, Cowboys. Yeah, and it's going to be rainy in L.A. for that game. Pat Hayden. Yep. Stallback. Crazy Legs Hirsch. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. jam this in my car on the way home today shouting out to the coast guard united states coast guard we found out that they like to jam this tune as they're coming in for an extended leave which is just so silly but uh we uh, value what you guys and gals are doing and uh, sorry you're not getting a paycheck yeah the reason it came up is coast guard among uh, some other people not getting their paychecks as of today the uh it's in the Twitterverse and on the internet now, all the people posting their checks with the zeros on them. Right. So, that's where that is. So, uh, we talk about this a lot. The internet has um, upended a lot of things, including, I think, maybe democracy. I'm, I'm not sure, and I'm not just trying to be hyperbolic, I'm not sure democracy can withstand the internet. I realize that... It is adjusted to many, many, many things. The mm-hmm. world is adjusted to many, many things. I'm not sure human beings can adjust to the Internet. <laughs> but anyway, um, I didn't see this coming. Some people did. Here's an interview with David Bowie. Musician. For, musician David Bowie. Songwriter. The late. Yes. What year was this, Sean? 1999. Okay. Okay. I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg. I think the potential of what the Internet is going to do to society, both good and bad, is unimaginable. I think we're actually on the cusp of something exhilarating and terrifying. It's just a tool, though, isn't it? No, it's not. No. No, it's an alien life form. What do you think, I mean, when you think then about... Is there life on Mars? Yes, it's just landed here. But that's, yeah. it's a simply a different delivery system there. You're arguing about something more profound. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the actual context and the state of content is going to be so different to anything that we can really envisage at the moment, where the interplay between the user and the provider will be so insimpatico, it's going to, it's going to crush our ideas of what m- mediums are all about. He's like one of the people on the planet that knew that was going to happen in 1999. I'd have been with the reporter. What is this guy talking about? It's a way to read your newspaper on your computer screen. You just don't have to hold the paper anymore, David. It'll be okay. over it. Yeah. Wow. He had it nailed. Sometimes, uh, you know, as the old wisdom goes, a degree and a change in degree is a change in kind, which means if something, the amount of something or, or, or the speed of it changes so much, it just becomes a different thing. So, last night, there was a horrifying uh, crime, a murder, not far from where I live. A, live, a police officer was shot and killed, 22-year-old female police officer shot and killed, and uh, and the shooter was on, on the loose, and so we were immediately jumped on Twitter, and Twitter is the greatest news delivery system that has ever been devised on planet Earth. It was absolutely amazing how we could keep up to date, minute by minute, Eyewitness accounts from all over the place. Video. Video, yeah. you know, pictures, 
I was here, I was here, I was here, you know, just so far ahead of any of the, the news resources that exist. At the same time, starting to come into the same feed on Twitter, which is the internet, you know, David Boy was just talking about, the people saying, good, it's about time another cop gets shot. Maybe they'll, you know, that sort of stuff started happening. Right. And those people got together. And uh, so I would, like, click on that guy or woman or whatever they are, or a Russian bot. Who knows? I was just going to say, yeah, if that even was a human or a, an American. A Russian bot trying to get us all stirred up. And then, you know, following them, they, they're grouped together with various things. And so there's the awful, terrible part mm-hmm. of Twitter and the Internet immediately displayed also. Right, right. The very tools that can keep us informed, keep us uh, disinformed, confused, angered. Oh, interesting. Yeah, David Bowie is actually, just as an aside, if you just know him as a musician, that's fine, because, you know, he made a lot of great music, but he's really an interesting guy, really an interesting thinker. Um, he, he has one of my favorite quotes. It, you probably won't enjoy it as much as I did, but he once said, I have very little faith in uh, the progress of humanity. On the other hand, as a parent, I am profoundly grateful for penicillin. So he he had a very, <laughs> he had a Joe Getty-esque view of mankind. We are an ugly, nasty, vicious beast, but we do do some really cool stuff now and again. Boy, and there it's... are some really nice Homo sapiens taken on mass. I'm not turning my back on y'all, and some really awful ones. Getting back to my Twitter example, displayed right there, and I mean some really, really, you know, uh, getting down to the root of life and death, being a human being stuff. Right. The very best of people who are trying to warn people and help people and, and you know, bring criminals to justice and then just the worst of society mm-hmm. right there on display. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to handle it. It's like and coming when, at you at a million miles per hour. Yeah. And some of it fake. Yeah. And, and, and But remember when we had P.J. O'Rourke, the political writer, on, and he said, whose idea was it to let all these idiots talk to each other? Right. Um, that's <laughs> to give the, all the morons in the world a chance to communicate. That's what yeah. the Internet is also. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'm not forward-thinking at all. I mean, I didn't consider mm. even the... <laughs> what was your response to text messaging? What's the point? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember when our, our old news person, Jamie Coffey, was texting people, and I thought, why would anybody do that? Right. I mean, I could. I just. I couldn't even conceive of why I would ever want to send somebody a message on my phone rather than just call them. Right. You were the same with the DVR too. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that really? I, that I don't recall. Wow, old simple Jack. It's amazing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, and it, how were you on like the cotton gin or the motor car? <laughs> Who would ride in one of those rattling claptrap mechanisms? <laughs> It's hard to predict some things. It, well, it is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you this, though. <laughs> I will tell you this. As I glance back at Ian Bremmer of Eurasia Group's uh, global risk assessment for 2019, we had a fascinating interview with him uh, only moments ago. I'm looking at all these uh, bad actors in the cyber warfare arena, and uh, it strikes me that every single one of them would make a great band name. Fancy Bear, Gothic Panda. Reaper, all of them, so good. So if you're a bunch of young musicians who will never, ever make a living thanks to the Internet, uh, call yourself Gothic Panda and start playing shows. Well, yeah, on his risk list, a the, the big cyber attack that is coming at some point, uh, he's saying could be a possibility in this coming year, and of course that's the Internet. Um, yeah. Ah, what are you going to do? 
Well, you're for shutting it down, right? I am, absolutely. Pull the plug. Yep. Where's it plugged in? Is it the Oslo? Let's go back to the pre-internet age. I, 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 honest to God, would vote for it today to go back to pre-internet. But I'm, I am a Luddite, so I got that working against me or for me. Um, you know, it's funny. My uh, alma mater, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, was uh, very, very proud of itself. They had, at some point uh, in history, they had the fastest supercomputer on Earth or at any university or something like that. And were uh, absolutely fundamental in the development of the early Internet. And they used to brag about that. I hope now they're ashamed of it and they deny it if anybody asks them. That's a decent point. All those all those university professors, scientists who were using the Internet in the early days, they didn't see this coming, I don't think, uh, the way it would be used in the way that David Bowie even saw it. They thought uh, right. it was a good way to exchange information and stuff like sure, that. Sure, and it is. Not the horrors it would unleash. Horrors, not whores. Well, it sounded like I said whores. Well, you might as well have, because that too. I guess that's a good point. Yeah, well, having failed to solve the problems of the world once again, I guess we'll uh, grab a little news, a little break. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.